From the Fifth Element Podcast Network in Central Sauce, this is In Search of Sauce, celebrating the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. I'm Brandon Hill. I'm a contributing writer and editor with Central Sauce, and I'm going to go ahead and let you guys introduce yourselves. Ethos. I'll go. Hi, I'm Elliot. Um, I'm Elliot Sang, more specifically, and I'm sort of the newest, one of the newest members of Central Sauce. Um, today, well, today in recording time, I will have just published my first piece of Central Sauce, which is about <laughs> BTS's, woo, BTS's J-Hope, and um, I write a lot of stuff. I also work on music, and I have a YouTube channel called Baby Gang, where I'm I put video essays and other types of media. Uh, mostly I just mess around on Twitter, though. Yep. Check him out, guys. Check him out. His uh, piece is blowing up right now. Wee. <laughs> uh, I'm Charlie Saylor, uh, director of the Fifth Element and the Fifth Element Podcast Network. And uh, Hot Take, Grind In by Clips is has not aged well. Let's get into the show. <gasps> <laughs> yep. Uh, and like I said, uh, Brandon Hill writer editor central sauce and you guys should all check out the director's cut of revenge of the dreamers and also oh, yes obviously mac miller you've already listened to mac miller so all right so today we're bringing you three fantastic pieces from four fantastic journalists actually the rolling stone piece we're going to talk about today has two journalists on it uh so we are going to talk about A piece from the New York Times, Grammy's Chief Calls Her Removal Retaliation for Exposing Boys Club. We are going to talk about Lil Peep's post-mortem legal battle over his contract with his label via Rolling Stone. And we are going to discuss Eminem facing backlash after comparing himself to the Manchester Arena bomber and aspects of shock rap via The Guardian. So we're going to jump right in with the New York Times uh, Grammy's chief calls her removal retaliation for exposing exposing boys club. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and introduce your piece and take it away, Elliot. So, yeah, this is a story that I'm sure our listeners will have been familiar with going into this podcast. In case you haven't heard about this for whatever reason, um, first and foremost, let me start by saying fuck the Grammys. Um, second, <laughs> second and second foremost, or whatever the word is for that, um five most um the grammys are sort of in deep waters right now as we approach the ceremony which will be taking place on the 26th which is tomorrow night i suppose this will have happened by the time the podcast comes out um and there are a bunch of different performers coming to the grammys um but as this ceremony approaches once again the grammys are facing a controversy because well (laughs) Let's see. <laughs> I mean, let's dive in. Where do we start? <laughs> let's dive in. Do you remember when, what was it, two years ago, there was a sort of Grammy So Male hashtag about these uh-huh. comments that were made by the ex- chief executive of the Grammys, um, who had basically said, his name is Mr. Port now, that mm. women in the music industry needed to step up in response to the uh, remarks or questions about a lack of women in the nominations. Of course, that was the year, I believe, of Beyonce's Lemonade or uh, 
uh, Lord was definitely in the mix with melodrama, Del, yeah. which was yeah Adele. Um, so interesting choice of words that was. And Portnow, who had served at the head of the Grammys uh, or the Recording Academy, eventually resigned from his post. And by eventually, um, basically it was immediately afterwards because many women in the music industry and women outside the music industry and people around the world called for his dismissal. So he stepped down and in stepped Deborah Dugan, uh, who was a lawyer and former music executive, as Ben Cesario says here in this article. And we'll talk about Ben Cesario a little bit more uh, after this really terrible resume I give right now. Um, <laughs> so Deborah Dugan steps in and uh, she's brought in essentially to make differences in the Recording Academy. Chief among those things is to bring more diversity to the nominations and particularly to be more inclusive of women, given how many women are incredibly, incredibly influential and make incredible work within the music industry. Um, and, uh, ew, you know, it's uh, it, it turns out Deborah Dugan was not necessarily given the help that she needed to make those changes. In fact, she encountered that the Grammys were very much the boys club that people had been rumoring. Um, and you know, this, this, this is an ongoing story. So this wasn't necessarily reported in the particular article we're looking at, but you know, to specify a bit more, we've, we're hearing that there were, you know, there's some rigging going on in terms of the nominations. We're hearing that, uh, among those people that were possibly, you know, given uh, an extra slant, there was a member, uh, somebody who's, let's see, an artist who was represented by members of the voting committee was brought from the, basically the bottom of the list of nominees for one of the major categories to the top of the list uh, very suddenly, and then ended up in that list of nominees. Um, speculatively, a lot of people are saying that that was Brandy Carlisle, who, I mean, it was probably Brandy Carlisle. Um, <laughs> she was placed on administrative leave, according to the Recording Academy, in light of concerns raised to the Recording Academy Board of Trustees, including a formal allegation of misconduct by a senior female member in the Recording Academy team. Uh, essentially, members of the Recording Academy are saying that she did not maintain a very positive atmosphere and stuff like that. So she's come back and basically come out with these bombshells. Um, she's also noted that there was a a, a sexual assault incident or a sexual harassment incident I should say let me see that again she's also noted Both. that there was Both. a there was a sexual assault and harassment oh so I'm good um, sexual harassment on her uh, by the lawyer and then sexual assault on the part of the man that she replaced she yes. al uh, allegated both of those incidents right oh, Jesus Christ so you know we all have had a sense that the Grammys are not exactly representative of the things they claim to be representative of. What? Grammys? Which, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's shockingly these majority white, okay, almost entirely white, rich, <laughs> male, official institutions are very much slanted towards representing their corporate interests before they are representing an actual scope of the great art that we've done across the world, which is what they're supposed to be represented. Um, we had Central Sauce. I can say that now as I'm joining Central Sauce. We had Central <laughs> Sauce cover hip-hop, and obviously hip-hop as a genre 
is among the genres, but perhaps the most centered genre in recent discussions over the past few years in terms of conversation about the Grammys really, really dropping the ball and not representing the artists that should be represented. Um, so I don't know. This is I, I'm stumbling over my words a lot here because there's just so much to unpack. She recently, Deborah Dugan recently did a sort of media tour where she went into the different morning shows and sort of gave an explanation over what was going on. And uh, this is a big story now and it's not going away. It's not going away at all. And, um, well, is it going to do anything? Are we going to get somewhere? Are the Grammys Are the Grammys canceled? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think hip-hop has been trying to quote-unquote cancel the Grammys for, I mean, years now because of the statistical bias. Um, Decades. Yeah, oh, I mean, Decades. look... Yeah. Look no further than Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers, uh, just, you know, some of the data he's pulled on the Grammys and uh, check out. I mean, it comes up every year around this time with the Grammys. The uh, statistical bias that he broke down is on Central Sauce. Uh, if, as a listener, you want to check that out for concrete evidence of exactly what we're talking about here. Right. And, you know, there's artists like Frank Ocean, you know, did not famously did not submit Blonde to consideration for the Grammys a couple of years ago, despite it being one of the most acclaimed albums of the year and of the decade, in a protest against the way that the Grammys have historically marginalized black artists that deserve to be recognized during their time. So this is it, isn't it? Like, how... that You, you don't have to submit <laughs> to the Grammys if you don't want to. Right. You know what I mean? But it's clear that there's obviously some background uh, influence on most of these uh, most of this time. Like even even like the fact that J. Cole's nominated is says something because I swear like for when when he dropped For Your Eyes Only, he didn't submit that. And that's his decision because it's his album and it's by his label, so he can do that. Right. But I'm sure there's a lot of artists it, not just in hip hop, but probably in other other spaces uh, in in the spectrum that don't fuck with the Grammys or don't want to fuck with the Grammys, but they just do. They, they just have to because either their record label tells them to, or what, or for whatever else uh, other reason. But um, yeah, I, f- I would find it mad fascinating if just like. Uh, if it was just some sort of um, pan hip hopism, <laughs> just like they all just like sat together and just like should, should nobody no nobody submit yeah let's let's nobody let's have nobody submit and see what happens because uh, that'll, that'll just be mad interesting to me and I, I know that'll never happen but that'll just be mad interesting but um, on the subject of um, on the subject of Dugan I guess uh, with obviously it's the point of the whole uh, talking point and the reason why we're talking about this because we could easily just talk about the <laughs> shit on the Grammys oh, yeah. regardless <laughs> with with no motivation at all um, but I guess uh, going on the article itself um, I just I, I would I would just enjoy it and obviously obviously, obviously you mentioned earlier that she's uh, had a little uh, I guess a media tour uh, explaining stuff but it's clear she's holding some stuff it's clear she's got some heat behind her and she's ready to, and she's ready to cock, cock and lock, uh, cock, uh, lock and load right quick. But I, mm-hmm. I obviously with a lot of these things, uh, there's always something that we don't know uh, behind the scenes. And uh, as much as we'd love to know, uh, I don't think I don't think we'll probably get anything past this. As it pertains to you know uh, the original question that you gave earlier, like <laughs> it's Grammy's castles. I mean that's a redundant question, but. Um, mm-hmm. 
I guess, um, I guess, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a matter of, um, obviously the, obviously when the Grammys drop and obviously uh, this, this pod will uh, drop a week after, so it doesn't really matter in terms of how we conversate about this, but, um, you know, the, the Grammys will probably just go on as normal, like nothing's happened, you know, cause the Oscars have done this several times over the years. Like they've had so many controversies as, as it takes the Oscars, but you know, they just go along as if nothing's happened, you know, just people have their outrage, the nominations, everyone has their think pieces. And then job done, and then and then you do, you just you just see if there's any good performances around. Most of the time there isn't, and you just move on with your life. Uh, saying say for the rest of the year, fuck the Grammys until the nominations come, and then you just for some reason care about it for a bit. But um, yeah, yeah, from from, mean, a, from, um... from, a, from a law perspective, I just don't really <laughs> I just don't really see much else moving from this. I mean, she's she's been ousted, so. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see how she can just like un- unless she unless it's like a fucking action movie and she has everything on a thumb drive and uh, every and everyone's trying to get to her. Um, uh, I don't know, like <laughs> like a uh, the hunted kind of style, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you never, you never know that that would be quite an interesting action movie. But here, that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's what particularly can be very striking about this um, is for one and. You know, obviously, Cesario of the New York Times is sort of working now on sort of a series and covering this as it develops. Um, recently, I actually haven't sent this one to you, but I know that I just noticed that this was the most recent piece. Uh, a more like a bit longer form piece with Cesario and Joe Coscarelli came out about Grammys, uh, the Grammys and Deborah Dugan. Um, and the first line of it uh, is fun. The first line is, it was supposed to be a new day for the Grammy and I think that's really where this story sort of mm. get picks up its fire, right? Because the Grammys were in a lot of heat a few couple of years ago. And, you know, there have been numerous artists that sort of separately have done their own protests of the Grammy. Um, mm-hmm. Ariana Grande, obviously Frank Ocean, different artists. Um, and this was a, supposed to be an appointment and a moment in which the Grammys listened and responded to this discussion um particularly you know with the focus on you know the misogyny at play but even just in terms of the different ways in which diversity has been ignored um and within five months it went from the appointment that was supposed to spark change to everything is still the same and now we have hell um and what's interesting is you know well, I mean, we should note that Taylor Swift has dropped out of her performance. She was, you know, confirmed to have been uh, ready to perform for the Grammys, I guess, a week ago. But even then, it was a bit speculative. People weren't really sure why she was going to perform. I mean, Taylor Swift is obviously one of the biggest artists in the world and had been sort of snubbed by the Grammys in a lot of people's minds. Did not receive a huge amount of nominations for her album Lover, which was... Speak for yourself. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's let me. This is a pop category, um, so that's about you know that's a different world. But I would say, I mean, I, I was pretty impressed by some of the songs off of Lover, and I think Taylor Swift obviously has a very strong and massive fan base, and honestly, did not really need any exposure from the Grammys. 
So it was a bit surprising for me in the first place to hear that she'd be doing it. And um, less surprising, but possibly more important, that she's dropped out and decided not to perform in the wake of this scandal. Um, Taylor Swift has been, over the past couple of years, speaking publicly about different ways misogyny takes place in the music industry, different mm -hmm. ways that celebrity has contributed to this, and different ways of which corruption and, you know, corporate interest is at play from her issues with Scooter Braun, who is also, you know, Deborah Dugan also mentioned that Scooter Braun had, like, has a huge, it's like a huge specter over the Grammys, unsurprisingly. But Taylor Swift has had, you know, obviously her break away from Big Machine Records. Her recent documentary came out where she spoke about having an eating disorder after tabloids sort of made fun of her for her weight at the age of 18. She's been being, you know, a lot more active and using her voice as a celebrity with a huge platform to speak out about some of the issues in the music industry. So, yeah, it's a little bit unsurprising for her to drop out at this point, but perhaps there's going to be some sort of chain reaction. And I think where it comes from has to be from artists like Taylor Swift and even more so, you know, artists and label executives. You know, if we're talking about hip-hop, for instance, and, you know, whether or not hip-hop can take the power away from the Grammys and everybody can sort of decide not to submit one year, that would have to start with a figurehead like Jay-Z or like Diddy or like Eminem bringing people together using their huge sphere of influence to say, let's do something about this. And I think especially someone like Jay-Z, who has not had the best press in the past year or two for his social justice stances um, and his partnership with the NFL, you know, this could be an opportunity for someone to make a public stance that's going to be pretty well-liked and possibly mm -hmm. bring some rappers together and some people together to do something that people have been talking about for a long time. I mean, the moment, if there's going to be a moment it has to be now or it has to be soon because how bad is this going to have to get? I think, well, and I think part of the difficulty in that is something, you know, a lot of people don't think about it too, is that the Grammys isn't just a status symbol as an award. Like when you have a Grammy or even a Grammy nomination attached to your name as an artist, you can, you'll, you'll automatically just get cut bigger checks for venues, yep. you know, because a venue will pitch it as, uh, you know, three-time Grammy winner performing a show this weekend or, you know, Grammy, Grammy nominated X pitching. Yeah. And, cool. and that, so that comes with a bigger check and, you know, in the end, the artists, like, they are doing this as a job. So, you know, they are pursuing that check. Um, but so I think, you know, part of that just has to come. See, I don't, so we're, that's where I don't know if it starts with the artist or if it starts with the fans and the consumers you know, changing the value that they place on the label. Right. I think we're getting away from something here because, like, what, what is, what do you mean by heat? You know what I mean? Like, because there's, there's the, there's the heat that we we commonly think of when it comes to like Grammys, Oscars, Brits, Baftas. Take your pick, right? Where it's just like, yeah, I don't know, your the nominations are crap uh, for whatever reason. And we all know there's something behind these picks. Uh, we just obviously can't prove it, but we can we can we can assume. <clears throat> in that case, that that type of heat, I think, doesn't really matter. But obviously, in this case of Dugan and all and all of, and all of this side of it, that's genuine heat because that's like you know crim that's like potential criminal stuff of how uh, that's how they're talking about it in terms of conduct, I guess as well. 
Um, yeah. Obviously, for stuff like sexual harassment and that, but also in terms of just like how how the I guess company of sorts or the academy, however you want to call, phrase it, officially I don't know, um, is set up. If she's saying it's a boys' club, that means she's saying that there's they're making exclusions at some point and in some uh, and in. At some point, when you get higher, higher in the hierarchy or, or higher in the pyramid, there becomes a ceiling. I don't want to say glass ceiling, but yeah, it's a glass ceiling. Not to be cliche, but yeah, it's a glass ceiling. And um, if if that's the case, then surely there's some sort of lawful uh, law crime going on here in terms of just how um, they're setting up uh, the organization. Because you, because <laughs> it's. We, we they could have got away they they can get away with that stuff in previous decades and we've seen and we've seen that and that's been documented yeah. for many many companies not even just hip hop not even just music we've seen that in many companies in terms of how you know they have to uh diversify but at the same time why 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 do they have to because because we because we're tweeting about it no this uh, when it kind there's social heat you know sometimes it we we think it makes we think it uh makes a makes a a dent but at the end of the day it has to it relies on certain people at a certain level to just go like you know what just for our ethical just for just for ethical reasons we're going to switch it up but they're not but, Let's be let's be real, gentlemen. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> is that going to happen? On is that is that going to happen at the detriment of, uh, I don't know, some uh, like uh, uh, what, what, what is it called? Upholding the boys' club because some people really give a shit about that. Really people, some people really care about that kind of stuff, especially when they're in it. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. go look at poli- go look go look at any 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 politic you know what i mean <laughs> that, that, that they, they they don't like changing they don't like changing so unless you know there's a genuine uh criminal quote-unquote heat there which you know there supposedly could be from how dugan's talking potentially then sure that will make some waves and actual and actually make some changes um you know for stuff like having you know jay-z or Wow, that'll be so funny if Eminem just went like call to arms. That'll be that'll be so fucking amazing if he just went on a hill and just went hip hop everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Plot the flag. That'll be amazing. That would be amazing to see. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, that would that would be interesting. And obviously, I posed that initial uh, thought. But yeah, that'll be interesting. But would it change anything? It would change. It would change the hip hop category for a year. That would be that would be damn sure. Um, and obviously there's a, you know, side conversation when we talk about Grammys and talk about major awards, it's just like, we just naturally put a lot of weight on these awards and, uh, you know, there's plenty of other, there's plenty of other awards that can, that can take its place, but we just don't because, because we value prestige. We value, you know, uh, decades long history. You know, yeah, it's hard not to recognize that kind of glamour, that kind of glint in history. Uh, but stuff like this is just like, you know, of course it will potentially create a black spot, but unless there's no crimes committed, then I don't really see why these, why these organizations will change to be completely honest, not to be pessimistic, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think change, you know, is kind of the key to this. This story shows how 
they're not willing to make that change. Because as Elliot pointed out, exactly. uh, you know, Dugan's appointment was supposed to be to like to galvanize change with her Diversity appointment. <laughs> and then there's a direct, you know, part of the piece that I think was one of the most I don't know if irony is the right word, but um, ironic, shocking, or you know, whatever the term is, where they talk about how uh, Miss Dugan had been moving too fast, had not taken the time to understand how the organization functioned, and disrespected the staff by not listening to their opinions. And uh, the quote is, you know, we expected change without chaos. Well, I think she submitted a 44-page complaint detailing the problems with the organization, which to me sounds like understanding how the organization functions and just having a different opinion on how you wanted it to function. Like, understanding the function does not mean being complacent in the errors in the function that she was appointed to correct to begin with. So, you know, that just reads to me like her appointment is a, you know, a political maneuver or a, uh, a showy maneuver to say, like, look, hey, we are making change, but we're going to strip away her powers to make those changes. Yeah, and that's a hang around too much because I know we're going to transition soon um, to the next subject, but I think when it comes to what you, you guys are saying, the Grammys perhaps it's not necessarily a criminal thing, right? But when it comes to like sweeping changes within industries, it has to be two-pronged. There has to be the prong of the direct deliberate evidence showcasing that the institution is compromised um, for instance, it could be a criminal thing when there's certainly criminal allegations at play, as we mentioned. But for there to be significant evidence, as Deborah Dugan presents, that the voting process is deliberately compromised, the whole po- purpose of you know the show, objectively and and theoretically, is the voting process. Is that these people make the vote and then these people win, and if that process is directly and so you know obviously approached with other interests at play to the point where the artists that are being presented are not the artists that are meriting the awards on behalf of an actual sustainable transparent you know worthy system of voting that compromises the entire event then from there you have to have some sort of a strategy there always has to be a strategy when groups of people whether it be people within the industry or the viewers because remember these shows need viewers so people at home making decisions to do a specific action are we all going to boycott the grammys are we all going to go you know protest outside the building are we going to send emails are we going to do a written campaign what are we going to do and there have to be steps that are outlined so that groups of people on mass work within the same constraints perform the same actions and make their voice amplified if each person if somebody's going to go ah, I'll, I'll watch half the grammys and somebody else goes ah fuck the grammys and somebody else goes ah, i like the grammys or whatever <laughs> we're all divided and there's no way that a substantial change could come about but if we decide whether it's us as the viewers which would have to be millions of people or it's people within the industry where it'd have to be, you know, label executives and potentially somebody like Jay-Z or potentially somebody like Taylor Swift making these decisions and saying, here's what we're going to do. That's when the action can take place. And that action seems more and more necessary 
seeing as how Deborah Dugan, who specifically said, I believe in her interview, I thought I was going to make change from within. Well, the change from within is not going to happen. The change has to come from without and from within, but especially from without. Because if you leave it to them to dictate what they're going to need to do, they're going to decide they're not going to do anything. They're going to be as complacent about it as possible. It's just like if somebody tells you you need to clean your room, you need to clean your room, you need to clean your room. And you sit there and you go, ah, okay. And then you bring somebody in to finally help clean your room. And then you get mad and it's like, oh, why are you putting that there? Oh, wait, I don't want to, hey, slow down. Why don't we listen to some music first? And it's like, no, you need to clean your fucking room. Because if you live in this goddamn film forever, you're going to get sick and you're going to be inhabitable. So this is the sort of process that has to happen. Somebody has to kick somebody's ass. Well said. In order for that ass to be kicked, there has to be synchronicity. Alright, very well said. So with that, uh, we're going to move on to the next piece here, which is actually my piece uh, from Rolling Stone. What the messy legal battle over Lil Peep's death reveals by Jonathan Bernstein and Amy Way. So I sound a little bit like a broken record because I feel like I bring a lot of Rolling Stone pieces here, but Rolling Stone just does a fantastic job with connecting music and the music industry to you know economics, politics, legality. Uh, they just do a really good job covering that cross-section, which is why I go to them for a lot of my industry pieces. So this article details how... Lil Peep's mother has filed a lawsuit against his label, First Access Entertainment, which, of course, has disputed all the claims made in the lawsuit. Um, And the specific claims made are negligence, breach of contract, and wrongful death, which all three of these are obviously important to the lawsuit. But for me, the most interesting one uh, is the breach of contract. So the article details what seems to be a pretty typical contract for new artists called a joint venture, which begins at a 50-50 split between Peep and his label. Um, And it also details how a typical manager takes a 15 to 20% split. So the label here is taking a much larger split than what would be allotted for just managerial duties. And this larger split is typically due to the label taking on, you know, to justify the 50-50 split, the label takes on a 50-50 role in the venture. Um, So the argument Peep's mother is making is that FAE is equally responsible for all aspects of the partnership that PEEP is. And so FAE's response to that is, no, 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 this was purely of a business relationship and not the type of special relationship giving rise to an independent duty of care for one's safety and or well-being. So then the most interesting part of this legal argument is that while that statement from FAE is in line legally with the contract uh peeps case is saying that they violated that by undertaking like like this is a direct quote from the article this is a list of the things that fae controlled about peeps life that his mother is saying violates the 50 50 contract by taking over you know more than an equal venture saying fae controlled a vast majority of peeps life which is then a breach of contract and responsibility for his personal well-being 
So FAE undertook the task of controlling and managing Peep's personal life, including his eating, drinking, sleeping, allowing for his personal hygiene, procuring driver's license, identification cards, living arrangements, buying and providing furniture, co-signing leases, securing and paying for utilities, money management, budgeting, paying taxes, identifying, paying for, transporting, and accessing healthcare providers and therapists, exercise, social activities, drug use, personal safety, and well-being. So the argument being made here is that this label exerted such massive control over Peep's life that not only do they violate the 50-50 agreement, where Peep is supposed to be able to possess equal responsibility for his life, but that they assumed so much control over his life that they are also responsible ultimately for his well-being and for his wrongful death. So I kind of wanted to hear what you guys think about this case specifically, um, and then a little bit larger as a whole, how much responsibility should a label take for their artist, and what should the label's relationship with the artist look like after their death? Um, In this 50-50 split, it sounds like FAE now holds Peep's masters, not his family, and given that the argument being made is that FAE contributed to his wrongful death, um, you know, now the label is returning more of a profit off of him post-mortem than what they were making while he was alive, while also being a contributing factor to his death. So, what are your guys' thoughts? I mean, I'm not really, to be honest, I'm not, uh, just straight up, I'm not really that into uh, Little Peep's music, but um, obviously that doesn't really matter in this case, but uh, I feel like, you know, this kind of thing is always just a occupational hazard once you are in the music industry like I think I was, there was a lyric I heard like a couple of days back it was like you'll always love the music industry more than it love you back and I found that completely true like in terms of just how not obviously not from experience not a musician over here but um uh, you you could just there's just so many there's just so many stories of just uh, just like this you know when uh, if, especially if an artist dies like it's just a free for all like you don't you, you, it's not something you plan you know unless you unless you have life insurance it's not, it's not you know an uh, uh, an artist and uh, you know whatever uh, powers that be are behind them or in front of them or above them they don't plan for okay so in case you die. Uh, before your career is quote unquote over, uh, you, you all your all your stuff will go to your mother. Like, no, they they don't they don't have these conversations. So at this point, it just seems like a free for all, and that's just kind of the unfortunate um, unfortunate fact effect about it. Um, shout out to the, shout out to the writers of this actually, because like this is just so fat, and I uh, share uh, Brandon's um, what's the word. Uh, Sentiments, Respect. sentiments about uh, about how fat this actually is and how detailed it is, because uh, yeah, boy, it's a it's a bad article. You should go, you guys definitely go read it because you will not get the detail from me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's it's. I don't I don't really I don't really know where where I can where I can actually go in terms of just like trying to give a, a, like a, you know a, an individual opinion on this because I feel like this happens every not every time someone an artist dies or anything but like every time there's just every time you mess with the mess with either uh what is a what is first access anyway um 
operations and music company. Da, 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 da. Simon Little Peep. So, uh, never legally responsible for the rapper's well-being. Simon Presses by the 2013 case of Jackson Estate. Right, so, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just so... It's so hands off. <laughs> they 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 want what they want. They want the work, but they don't want to, you know, take care either either take care of uh, Lil Peep's mother or just any of that kind of stuff. You know, the, the sentimental stuff that you can that you can do if you really want to, and ethically you probably should. But no, we're not going to do that. But we want everything else. It's just a meat grinder. It's it's just really a meat grinder. I don't. Re- There's no positivity in this. Uh, in this kind of uh, in in this kind of topic, it's really just like the. Um, if the, if the uh, if our next topic's gonna be the fun side of uh, talking about music, and the uh, previous one is the bad side of music, this is the fucking ugly shit. This is ugly. It, it really is. And it's like, you know, nobody likes thinking about uh, or even fighting over a dead dude's either music or estate or whatever or whatever he owned he used to own it's just it's it's a little bit depressing and uh you know i, I don't really <laughs> like i said i don't really know where to uh, uh where to go it's just uh the whole uh, the whole it's... concept on the whole is just like you know i can't i can just chalk it up as um you know meat grinder but you know there's obviously much more to it i guess there's a lot um even like because you mentioned that the there's sort of the hands-off approach and we're not going to get involved. We're just going to let this person spiral. But, um, and Brandon, I think you, you're you sort of alluding to this and you could speak to this more, but there's like almost this incentivization to like push the artist to do unhealthy things and push the artist to sort of spiral. Absolutely. I can, I can hear that, yeah. I can say that. And I mean, and I think, so for me at least, because I would normally take the stance of... A label is not necessarily responsible for an artist's health because, you know, you are, you do have freedom of choice as an artist. Like, your actions are, you know, your own choice in most circumstances. But I think what this article did such a good job of outlining is how much these younger artists – because this crisis is – yes, it's, it's larger to the music industry as a whole, but it seems to very narrowly affect younger artists and newer artists much more. Yeah. And I think that because these newer artists are taking are getting these 50-50 contracts, um, you know, because they don't have a huge leg to stand on in the music industry, um, they might not necessarily, you know, they're not financial experts. And a lot of times they come into the industry needing a cash infusion to take their career to the next step. And I think it's, it's the nature of this 50-50 contract where the artist is not acting independently. Yeah. You know, every aspect of their life is being controlled by this label. So if the label is going to reap the positive, like the positive benefits of controlling every aspect of their life, you know, the revenue, uh, you know, from touring, from music sales, from they're getting what they want out of the mm-hmm. artist, but they're not going to take responsibility for the negative aspects mm-hmm. of controlling every single piece of their life. Can I read a little bit actually from this? Uh, just found, I just, I, I just uh, wanted to elucidate the 50 50 stuff because it's crazy it's crazy like so all rights of whatever nature including uh but not limited to intellectual property rights uh rise of peeps activities da, da, da. upon net profits reaching more than five mil the split would shift from 60 to the is and 40 to fae 
and it would further escalate 65 to the yards and 35 to their feet after their profits crossed the 20 million mark. According to the contract, which established a joint venture agreement between two entities, FE also paid people 35k advance and 300k for recording, tour support, marketing, and brand development. So the point I wanted to make off the back of that is like, it's like a minor comparison. It's like, um, you know, in sports, like let's say let's say basketball or even um, American football for for uh, an example, it doesn't really matter. Especially American sports, I guess. Um, you know, if you're if you're like a college, if say say like a SoundCloud rap, quote unquote, is like uh, college sports, yeah. And you 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 go from that, and you obviously become uh, what people like Trippy Redder now, and. Uh, God, where's Little Yatty been? But yeah, like people like that, you know, where they're not just SoundCloud. <laughs> it's not just SoundCloud anymore. They're like, you know, genuine eyes, deals and all of that. You know, they're quote unquote official. They've quote unquote made it to the league, you know. And uh, from uh, from my uh, consumption of like American sports from like a few years ago, I remember there was a conversation um, for uh, from certain like uh, rookies uh, uh, talking about how they get educated on using their money. And, you know, in previous decades, you know, once they got a check, no one told them what to do with it, you know. There's, there's a great 30-30 th- documentary called Broke, one of my favourite sports documentaries, and they talk about, there's like, you know, past sports stars that talk about uh, the checks they got, what they spent it on, and it's lavish, and then, you know, suddenly the, everything just goes down the goes down the loop. And the the... The comparison I wanted to give to that, in terms of uh, to this, there's no, there's no, there's no um, sympo- artist symposium of like uh, you go, you go somewhere for a week and you know Master P talks to you about uh, hustling and record deals and you know independence and stuff like that. There's no, there's nothing. Nobody's educating them on this shit unless they educate themselves. So and I, I don't want to sound demeaning, but I highly doubt. Um, the, uh, these these artists that are coming up right now via SoundCloud, via whatever uh, platform, I highly doubt they they they're getting it. They're getting they're, they're educating themselves on this kind of stuff. Um, it just it, it happens. It all happens so quickly. We've seen it. We've seen it happen so quickly. You know, we've, we've seen many artists have one song blow up, chart, radio play, maybe awards, and then what happens next? They get an award. They get a record deal. And what happens next? They either thrive and, you know, they're, they're one of the lucky ones that, you know, that make it through, not not unscathed, but, you know, able to survive and be, and you know, still be themselves and have that autonomy that all artists want. But then you get stuff like this where, you know, the, the deal itself just sounds, I mean, it sounds very business-like. You know, it sounds like something from a, uh, what's, the, what's the US equivalent to you guys? Uh, Shark Tank. You know, it's, it's like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll trade you. Uh, no, I'll trade you. I will give you fifty percent of my business um, for three hundred and three hundred k deal. And you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it, but and also in this case, because well, the kid, because the, the fucking kid died, you know, it's just it just makes it it just muddles stuff up. And I feel like there's a matter of education that's lost here, where sports stars can get that. And they do get that. I think they legally have to do that, as uh, sports leagues do now. No eyes, no eyes. Well, you know, labels don't care. They'll just, you know, throw money at them. Even with the uh, with the Shark Tank analogy, uh, a fifty fifty split 
business-wise is a horrible deal. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then they're alleging that not only is, you know, a 50-50 split as a joint venture supposed to be, you know, equal responsibility on both parties, but it's a 50-50 split where the investor is saying, I'm going to maintain full control over this business venture, and then if it fails on your part, I'm going to put the blame on you instead of respect accepting responsibility when I had full control over the business venture. Yeah, and there's a part of the article that where they claim, you know, they say that, okay, well, the 50% on the labels part is that they provide different things. They provide, you know, producers and um, uh, paying for utilities, money management, budgeting, paying taxes, identifying, paying for, transporting, and accessing health care providers and therapists, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And yet... So much of that is even debatable as to how much of that they actually provide and how much of that the artist is even cognizant of how to facilitate. Mm -hmm. I think, um, so yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I'll say. For one, the, the analogy with the American sports is, is, is quite poignant in a way, but also, you know, it's also like a bit different in that when it comes to American sports, the collegiate athletes are, are most often the ones that are really being exploited. Yeah, that too. They don't, yeah, make, that, good show. they don't make any money off of their, you know, their talents mm -hmm. and the fact that they bring in millions and millions of dollars for these corporations. Yeah. Then they enter the league and then they make absurd amounts of money. Whereas here, you know, when you're a SoundCloud rapper, your freedom is, you know, obviously a little bit more on to you. You know, what you make goes to you. Now, obviously your facilities are a lot you know, less extravagant. You don't have as much at your disposal, but you have the artistic freedom to do what you want. You have the ability to stop. You have the ability to, to you know, make your own decisions for yourself and create your own business by yourself when you're independent. Mm -hmm. But then when you sign with these deals, you know, especially for the, uh, the length of time that they might extend for and the different factors that go behind it, all of a sudden you're looking at a complete lack of, of freedom and in in the place that w what made you as good as you are. And, and you're surrendering 50% of your income and the, uh, from the creations that you make entirely and the revenue that you make entirely mm -hmm. to somebody that is basically not doing anything for you. Um, I think we spoke a little bit about K-pop before we started the podcast because I covered K-pop a little bit and there's, you know, parallels in this situation with what a lot of people know about, um, things behind the scenes in the K-pop industry. Um, you know, there's the thing about this that really interests me. And I also thought about K-pop when I read it is that K-pop is an industry that does have, a lot of this sort of exploitation of artists, a lot of a lack of creative freedom from certain artists. There are certain artists with certain entertainment companies that, you know, haven't been able to release their music, haven't been able to get the production and the marketing that they need, possibly are being led through unhealthy lifestyle. Well, definitely there are some unhealthy habits within the lifestyle, you know. But there are also definitely amounts you know, there's there's K-pop artists that are completely creatively independent and have a lot more freedom, and and there's been changes within the industry to reflect, you know, there that that mental health is an important factor. There have been a couple of stories from this past year of artists that have been able to take mental health breaks from their groups. There was a member, I believe, of Seventeen, uh, which is actually like this thirteen-piece K-pop group 
idol group <laughs> to be specific. <laughs> yeah, they they're it's fascinating because they're broke. They're like the Brockhampton of, of K-pop because Brilliant. they have a, a group of producers that produce all the music themselves. Then they have a group of rappers and singers, mm. uh, the, and, and they all sort of flow in between the positions too at different points. Mm-hmm. And then they have a group of like there's like a performance team that's like specializes in the choreography and the dance. And they all, they all do that basically in-house, and they have the, the freedom from their label to do that. Um, their label doesn't necessarily have all the the, uh, the best um, stories out about it, but definitely allows their artists to have this creative freedom and freedom over their schedule. And as, as we're seeing this past year, freedom to do this. But the stigma... Uh, around k-pop is very much that this is entirely artificial and controlled industry and that artists don't have any freedom and that artists are completely unhealthy and, and they'll talk about these artists like Sully that'll you know end up taking their own lives because of their mental health struggles mm. but this shit's happening everywhere it's happening right in front of us in our own country and in our and, and in the west throughout the west you know we we see this not only in hip-hop where artists like Lil Peep and most recently Juice World have passed away from, you know, drug overdoses in, in the case of Juice World. But we also saw the, the DJ, the EDM DJ Avicii, uh, Good job. Uh, commit suicide. Well, not commit suicide. Let's, let, let me try to use the language that's better. Um, died by suicide. Died by suicide. Um, after directly speaking about how the EDM industry was manipulating him, mm. exploiting him, mm-hmm. and commoditizing him to constantly be on tour, to constantly be producing, to constantly be at events and doing interviews and all these things. Whereas he had had all these mental health struggles that were constantly worsening through that and had, had, had dealt with substance abuse and things like that and had to go to therapy and you know, had multiple breakdowns. And eventually, obviously, it ended with him dying by suicide. And we look at that and we still listen to Marshmallow and we still say, okay, well, this, you know, we can separate that EDM is this respectable art form. We can separate that, you know, SoundCloud rap, whether you can be from Lil Peep to Lil Yachty, there's still these massive fan bases and we understand that it's just a, its own genre of music. And even outside of SoundCloud rap, there are other hip hop artists that have had similar struggles with the labels within, within the music industry as well. They but so, yeah. It's like we, we when we when we're able to otherize something like K-pop, um, we're able to sort of separate ourselves from an issue that is actually reflective of the entire entertainment industry sphere, absolutely globally. And I think we can look at. Uh, we obviously have to investigate it wherever it is, and we obviously have to scrutinize the labels. We have to we have to put more pressure on these labels to give more to these artists, and we have to be able to dig into the different cases of the artists that we support and figure out whether they're being supported by their management and being supported by their company, which I think a lot of K-pop fans really do well to their credit because they're able to put, you know, they start these campaigns where they're pushing their, you know, labels and they're pushing management to do better by the artists. Whereas we didn't know what was going on with Lil Peep's management company until it was far too late because this isn't being talked about enough in our own media. Um, yeah. And I think that's what happens when we're talking about media narrativizing. And we're, this is the sort of thing that I guess is central to this podcast, you know, because we're talking about real music journalism. Real music journalism means covering these industries completely. And part of that means that before people go to their breaking point and before things get too late, we need to 
dig into these different companies and we need to report on what the hell's going on because if we're going to respect these artists and respect their craft, then we have to make sure they're being respected as human beings. It's yeah, it's exactly like what we mentioned in our previous conversation on the Grammys where it very unfortunately takes incidents like this where things are brought to a legal standpoint um, to sort of galvanize some change. So with that being said, I mean, this is definitely a legal battle that I'm going to be following uh, because the outcome of this legal battle and how these arguments that we've discussed are handled could have a uh, you know large impact on not just hip-hop industry relationships, but uh, like we said, this not being an isolated incident, it could expand to much larger uh, music genre labels and how they handle contracts as a whole. Uh, so... this point we're going to go ahead and move on to our final article uh charlie will be talking about eminem from the guardian (laughs) shady shady okay shady records as a shout out to nazia parvey and beaumont thomas for this for the guardian um so yeah i wanted to talk about uh eminem so for those that don't know he dropped an album recently, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he? basically to be murdered he? by it. Uh, it's already number one everywhere because why not? And uh, just just to say, just to you know, stay just to stay a point. Um, I didn't mind the album. Just just saying, it's not trash. Yeah, it's no, not, I thought there was some good stuff yeah, on there. Yeah, it's some, some good stuff on there. Um, I feel like I feel like there's a uh, overall conversation of Eminem I need to have um, at some point. Uh, Probably on Diggity Digits. Uh, go go check that out, guys. Uh, drop it every Tuesday, one PM GT- GMT. And uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, yeah, so Eminem, he, he obviously had uh, one particular lyric, one particular lyric that uh, people were 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 really backlashing over and just like uh, just going ah, outrage police all over. And it was well, let me just let me just say the rap. Why not? Let me just say the lyric. Uh, Can you do the voice as you say the rap? <coughs> Let me get your best Slim Shady impersonation. <laughs> Got to go back of the throat. Lots of growling. <laughs> <clears throat> I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. It's too on the spot. Too on the spot. Too on the spot. But I'm kind of playing, yelling, bombs away on the game like I'm outside of an area in the Grande concert waiting. Okay. So, for those that don't know, I'm British. Um, I don't live in Manchester. Um, I live below, uh, down south, uh, as you can gather by my accent. But, um, you know... Just to, just to just to dive on in because this is literally the whole this is literally the whole story. Um, I could I could care less to be honest. It's a fu- I've 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 I found it quite. Um, oh, that was that was that was that was a lyric. That was a lyric. You know, was, uh, I didn't find it funny, but um, I just I just found it uh, quite. Hmm, it got the job done for what it for what it's supposed to do, and you know, <sighs> shock rap or, or just shock lyrics. Are we not? Are we not just like you know? a bit over it these days you know i feel like um and i feel like this happens a lot with especially when it comes to eminem these days you know whenever whenever he drops something now uh everyone just rushes to genius and just goes to read it all and just goes what's the worst possible lyric he's given and you know there's always going to be something there <laughs> you know said them 
But I feel like that's just the only thing that we do now with Eminem. And, uh, you know, on this, I get it. Because obviously it's a reference to, uh, you know, the Aaron Grande concert 2017 in Manchester. 22 people murdered, of course. You know, it's, it's you know, obviously bad. But, um, you know, I wonder I wonder if I go on Genius right now and just uh, type 9-11 and see how many lyrics come up. And, you know, I'm wondering right. how many... How many Oh, how many were you guys outraged to? You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it, it's just a, I know it's a matter of uh, statute of limitations and, you know, we can link this to a lot of things. We can link this to comedy, you know, because obviously comedy's been of, uh, has been attacked by PC police in the past few, past few uh, years. But um, yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get into this, this, I guess the whole concept of just like shock lyrics and, you know, is it, is it necessary or is that not the point? Obviously it's never necessary, but like, is there a point to it? I don't know. How do you guys feel about, I guess, uh, the shock lyrics, quote unquote? I have many thoughts. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I guess a lot of people would consider me, uh, quite a, quite, quite the lefty, uh, you know, social justice oriented, I care a lot about you hot boys for you know, Bernie. Mar- <laughs> hot boys, <laughs> um, <laughs> marginalized communities, and and you know, obviously, I, I care about these issues as as anybody should. Yeah. Um, where, what year is it? Because <laughs> when Eminem came out, you know, first of all, he used to say shit that makes this look like exactly a, 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 yeah. A, a kindergarten. This ain't even top like, fifty. <laughs> this is so. This is so tame by his standards. That doesn't necessarily make it, you know, right or make okay. it like okay. Yeah, course, it doesn't make course. it like. Yeah. It doesn't make it not to some degree toxic or outrageous. However, I mean, there's different elements to which you can approach it. The first thing I'll say is that Eminem, in specifically targets these reactions he wants people to write these articles and say eminem is bad and eminem is a shock jock and he should be banned and whatever that's the point of shock jock, it, isn't it, it yeah exactly and it, it, it it's supposed to you know when you get that it kind of denotes a relevance to you it denotes that you're something of an important figure because people need to ban you people are mm. uh, you know purportedly or ostensibly scared of you or want you to go away and then Eminem can stand on the hill and say they want me to go away but I'm not going anywhere and then his fans go ah! and it's the whole thing you know mm-hmm. it's a very savvy political move is what it really is and you know Eminem's lyrics obviously used to skew a lot more homophobic, which I, you know, I have a lot of reservations about any type of homophobic lyrics. But at the same time, it was still that dichotomy that he would present where he would say these homophobic lyrics and then he would say, well, I don't actually have a problem with gay people. And I did this thing with Elton John at the Grammys. Haha. <laughs> timely um and i've done you know uh, he'll he'll support this and that cause and then he'll make jokes about how he's gay and this whole thing and so people will say well he's not actually homophobic he's just saying it to get a rise out of people yeah whether or not you think it's you know there's different problems there because first of all somebody who actually does hate gay people can very easily co-opt your message Mm -hmm. and go yeah you're right and Mm -hmm. then use it to fuel the homophobia that actually 
is very permeate, permeating in society. That's bad English, but you get what I'm saying. Um, but also, there is just that point where you have to kind of go, well, that's Eminem, you know, and and you don't get shocked by it anymore. You don't get interested in it anymore because at least sometimes when people do things for shock, there's a point to it. You know, when somebody mm-hmm. makes a joke about like, you know, when Zach Fox got banned from Twitter for suggesting he would run over a little white kid who made like a Trump lemonade stand <laughs> to fundraise for the wall. Um, you know, that was like incredibly shocking humor and definitely not something we can condone moralistically. But his point was, fuck that kid and fuck Trump. You know what I mean? And there's a there's a there's a social political point to it and it, 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 that's why it makes people laugh and it, it, it raises a point to it whereas and i'm saying you know yeah i'm gonna blow up the game like manchester whoa it's like yeah you know i guess that's shocking and it's kind of insensitive but it also doesn't really go anywhere and there's not really a point to is it, it exactly which is yeah that's where yeah go ahead i that's uh, well that's where i always start with these conversations is like okay like shock value aside like is it a good bar. Yes. And yes, 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 yes. I, you know, I really don't, like, I think you could, I, I just, I don't, I don't think it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and full disclosure, actually, I had not listened to the Eminem album uh, prior to uh, reading this article because I was letting it wait a week for Circles to get around. I was like, surprise Eminem album. I was one of those butthurt guys. That wanted to. He said for get, circles get, to get around. That's crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I waited. You know, I waited a week, and I, I just, I, I really like. I didn't think that it was that that good of a bar, uh, and the fact that it was the second track on the album for a surprise album that just released. That you know that bar that's very emphasized is. I felt designed to get someone to click on the surprise Eminem album and then they're listening and that's one of the first things they hear they're going to tweet about it. You know, they're going to tweet surprise Eminem album. Holy shit, he said he's going to blow up the game like an Ariana Grande concert. Like that that is a tweetable moment. You know, that's a viral social media takeoff where you know, it's completely engineered to get one group of people angry at the bar and so they're going to tweet about it because they're angry about it and get another group of people holy shit i can't believe he said that shock you know value and then they're going to tweet about it so it felt like to me at least a very cheap way of getting like social media advertisement for the album yeah to spread you know naturally through social media and you know i just thought you know it's 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 replaceable Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you can get the same way across without using that, you know, specific incident, which I guess is, you know, in his mind, that's the value of it is using that specific incident to get that reaction. But I don't know. I think I think I think it could have been done better. Yeah, I think also it's 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 interesting because the concept of his album is sort of surrounded around murder and um what's it called music to murder by or something yeah yeah um and um you know he has a song on there the lead single is a song where he sort of parallels his own struggle um not in a con- condoning way but like to the struggle 
of the Las Vegas shooter that ended up killing, that committing, a, committing a mass murder and speaking about like, you know, what a person does to get to that point and how so many, you know, it, it's supposed to be like this commentary about gun violence in America and how we have to stop it and stuff like that. So he's doing like this kind of like woke thing on this album and also sort of trying to play with the concept of like murder and mass murder and stuff like that. So it sort of fits within that while also trying to play to that like, oh, I'm teasing you with a little bit of a shock. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it's, it's just the thing is, I don't think people are as outraged by it as maybe some articles might denote. You know, there are some tweets saying, ah, wow, this is terrible. Because, of course, you know, out of context, you read a tweet that says, Eminem said, I'm going to do the Manchester bombing or whatever. And you go, ah, oh, that sucks. Bad Eminem. And it looks, it takes five seconds out of your day to write that tweet. Yeah. But now it looks yeah. like you are one of a million screaming fans who are angry at Eminem. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think that this is the case anymore. I don't think that people are very outraged by the things Eminem says. Because, for one, I don't think Eminem's finger is as pressed on the cultural pulse anymore you know exactly we are very interested in society now and how to um you know sort of think about our speech and think about the ways that we comment um and how they can affect marginalized people whether we're talking about ableism or ableism ableism or uh, homophobia and the the context is not 2003 anymore where there's you're you're shocking white moms that are (laughs) in a suburban and I can't believe my child listens to this that, that you know for, at that time it was almost this political thing where he was trying to shock America mm-hmm. into realizing how messed up things are mm-hmm. but here he's now you know when he says things like this in 2020 it's almost like he's positioning himself with you know conservatives or with people that are you know condoning this kind of violence because it, it, the shock value is completely decontextualized and so people you know yes Eminem's been doing this his whole career but it's not the same anymore and the culture is different and sometimes you can say the same thing you said 20 years ago now and it just goes over completely differently because that's the way the world works we don't live within a temporal bubble wherein you know somebody can just you know the, the same thing means the same thing to the same person we've never lived in that world so i think eminem you know i, I the, the, the strongest thing I can say about it is that I don't have an opinion on it. I, I simply don't think that it, it would be favorable t- even to the cause of preventing gun violence and preventing these mass murders and preventing these, well, this is a bombing, so it's not a gun violence issue, but these, this, this terrorism that exists within different fractures of our global society. I don't think it would benefit it at all to just, concentrate effort towards a, a throwaway line on an Eminem track that was meant to get clicks on social media. Yeah. I, I, I would say, I'd actually say that he's, um, in just like, uh, to come back at that a little bit is like, I think he's actually quite plugged in. I just think his reaction towards some things are just shit. <laughs> uh, but I yeah. think, I think he's, I think he's plugged in, uh, in terms of just what's going on. Which you can, which you can say, you can say, you can't say for someone. I think like uh, uh, someone like Dave Chappelle. I think because I, w- I was, you know, I, I compare, I compare this to like Chappelle's recent stuff, um, where I was watching them and I was laughing at points. And you know, this is this, this is another thing. I you don't have to you don't have to like every single second of everything by the way you know I mean you can you can not like an episode <laughs> of a show or you can not like a series of a show 
or you can not like an album in someone's catalog and not, and not cancel yeah, the whole you, show you can, just because you can you, you, can, like you can pick and choose what you like and what you don't like I'm not putting the whole of Eminem's album on, reg- on my regular rotation. Some people put a couple of songs on there, and that's that's fine, you know. So you know, it's all in moderation in that concept. But um, yeah, I was watching Dave Chappelle's thing, and I was, and he was, and he had, and obviously there was a lot of backlash to him in a similar way to this, but uh, probably much more, um, because he had like yeah. five, ten minutes about like transpho- uh, trans, some transphobic joke, and I was just like, and you know, I watched it, and it was funny. At, first and then like he was just carrying on and on and on and i was just like okay 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 dave we get it okay you don't you don't quite understand it's fine it's cool you don't have to understand this is cool you're not in that realm and nobody in that and nobody in that realm is asking you to be an ally or whatever they're fine on their own it's cool we get it You, you you made a joke it's fine continue on but um yeah but in this case it's just like one bar and like brandon said it's not great <laughs> it's uh, it, it could be better um but you know it's it's you know it's it's i think i just but back to my whole point it's just like i do think eminem's like plugged into all of this and but i will obviously say that you know his previous uh especially kamikaze was not the best reaction to all of it um some of it i enjoyed some of it i didn't but um obviously everyone harped on the negative in that side but yeah i think uh i think this whole album in terms of a concept like obviously because uh, a reference a one big reference to alfred hitchcock's uh music to be murdered by hence the uh alfred hitchcock uh, uh interludes uh throughout the album and i think it was very i think that was actually quite a a very classic Eminem, maybe in in terms of concept, a better Eminem, because uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have guessed uh, you I wouldn't have seen uh, uh, Eminem in two thousand and three making references to Alfred Hitchcock in this such a in such a generally nuanced way. So you know, there's some evolution here uh, in terms of the album. I don't want to turn this into an album review, but yeah, but you know, I get it's just Eminem. I think well, <laughs> the dude's fucking in terms of the place. Like having you know having the discussion around just like shock rap in general, um, you know you touched on the fact that like yeah this is not new for Eminem, and that's why it's not like I was not I wasn't outraged by it. Yeah. It just seemed it seemed like lazy and like a poor bar, and it's like it wasn't even that shocking because it's like oh typical Eminem, but I think like you can accomplish shock rap like the same aspects of shock rap without saying shitty things, and I think like. IDK's album um, that he recently put out, I I don't know if it's sh- tra- you know shock rap in terms of traditional shock rap, but there are bars on that album where you're listening and it's like holy shit like what what did he just say like I cannot believe like he just said that, but it's it's because you know the bar is so creative and out there and like and insane than it is like holy shit he just said some really fucked up shit like w- with the case of Eminem yeah I think and, wait oh, oh well I just in Eminem in Eminem's case I don't really even know if it's accomplishing his intended effect because as you mentioned it's so expected yeah I um I think it's interesting um I remember we, we mentioned a bit earlier about how I, I believe um Charlie you mentioned that Eminem's sort of finger on the cultural pulse hasn't necessarily lessened. It's just that his reaction is just worse. And I, I'm thinking about more like sort of this, uh, like an extended sports metaphor again because it's like yes, you know, it's like the 
He's like the, you know, uh, who was it? I mean, he's like the Nemanja Matic of like, Whoa. you know, Whoa. just uh, amazing player years ago. And then and exactly what he's supposed to do and how he's supposed to go and what he's supposed to do with the ball and where he's supposed to be positioned. But he's now old and it's just harder to do the thing correctly now because he's <laughs> taking a lot longer to get there and it's harder his body's not responding the way it used to i mean eminem used to say shocking shit when he was in his mid to late 20s and now he is 47 and it's not the same to hear a 47 year old guy try to shock you with a edge bar as it was a, a, a stoned out late 20s white yeah. guy you know i i think yeah. people are directing you know lastly a lot of attention to this line you know about this you know, Manchester bombing and stuff, and I guess I get it. But for me, I was I was more shocked by a bar that he had later on. Actually, it was in the next track, and he I have it here, and he says, um, "Hi, my name is Eminem. Your girl won an Eminem, so I gave her an Eminem, Eminem, and Eminem." I really thought that shocked me. That's shocking for him to. I mean, my girl oh. is not an Eminem gal. Who looks surprised for poetry? You know, Fuck just, you know. just yeah, edgy. It's too edgy for me. End the pod. End it. <laughs> End it there, gentlemen. End it there. That's glorious. Eminem, Eminem, Eminem. Great, great vine. Great vine. <laughs> Oh, all right. God, actually Excellent. amazing. The gift. He's he, come. On, let's be real. He's the gift that keeps on giving. From a me perspective, I the mean, he's the gift is, that keeps on giving. He's, That's just he's, fucking amazing. He, I mean, the beard right now is just not my preferred Eminem look, you know. But at the same time, it's not. If he goes clean shaven and blonde again, it's like God. Forty. Somebody get him some clippers. His fucking yeah. beard's fucking weird. weird. That's just trash. Um. <laughs> it's just it, yeah. I mean, look. I like. I I was a big Eminem fan growing up, and you know, growing up, you compartmentalize the the bars a lot differently when you're a kid, and you hear people say edgy shit because the culture mm-hmm. was different, and you're different as a person. But now, I, I he would have to say something that I think I think he's just pot between subvert subverting what is expected of him theoretically from pop culture. And also trying to adjust to and accommodate pop culture. You know, he's he's stepping into the woke thing, but he's also stepping into the edgelord thing. And he's doing a little bit here and he's doing a little bit there. And it's kind of unclear still, even though I think his music has improved with this past album as compared to the previous efforts. He's finding himself in where he's supposed to speak and what he's supposed to speak to. And, um, you know... Even though there are moments on that album where it feels like he's finding it, there are still moments where it feels like he's trying to do something too cheap. And I think, I guess we all kind of agree that this was a bit of a cheap one. Yeah. So, I mean, with that being said, uh, you know, thanks guys for having this conversation. I want to go back over and just shout out the uh, journalists we covered today. So, first... Grammy's chief calls her removal retaliation for exposing exposing Boys Club by Ben Cesario and the New York Times. Then exposing. Yeah, can't speak. Uh, then I'd like to give another shout out to Jonathan Bernstein and Amy Wang for Rolling Stone, 
what the messy legal battle over Lil Peep's death reveals. And last but not least, Eminem faces backlash after comparing himself to Manchester Arena Bomber by Nazia Parveen and Ben Beaumont Thomas for The Guardian. Thank you for your great works of music journalism that have inspired such fantastic conversation for this podcast. Yes, sir. Is that how you did? Jeez, okay. <laughs> that was abrupt. Is that, I don't, you want, you want to come up with something yeah. else? Is that, I, I, I've been I mean, Ellie saying. I was just going deuces, but okay. Yeah. Outro. <laughs> Give me your best outro. <laughs> I've been Charlie. <laughs> deuces. Oh, man. And this is Brandon Hill. <laughs> In search of sauce. Absolutely. Good night. Come <laughs> guys. Be safe. <laughs>